All right, well, we continue uh, back into the book of First Samuel. If you're wondering, for those right here, the lights are burnt out, so I enjoy the, the dim lighting tonight. Um, we are back in First Samuel chapter 19 tonight. If you remember a couple weeks ago when we were in chapter 18, we saw that God's hand was on David, that his life was marked by God's favor on him, and how through Christ Jesus and him alone and what he's done on the cross alone, you and I receive the free favor of God. We get it no other way, and we can't uh, lose it, and we can't earn it. It is given as a gift. And so, uh, for the rest of First Samuel, we see this big overarching theme that Saul, as the first king in Israel, is insecure, he's jealous, he's fearful of David, he knows his own fate, and he's going to chase and try to kill David. And so uh, we see David um, running from him <laughs> over and over and over. And so tonight, we're going to stop on a specific theme that we've seen a little bit, quite a bit actually, thus far, and we'll continue to see. You see, the theme is that of good and evil, and more specifically, an evil spirit-led life that we see Saul has, the Lord even gives him this, this spirit that torments him, and then you see a Holy Spirit-led life by King David. And so tonight is a good uh, representation and a good kind of just bringing together of what those lives look like and the differences in them. You see, Jesus being the better David uh, doesn't only receive the Spirit of God from the Father in his earthly ministry, but he tells us in John 16 that it's good for him to leave because he's leaving, sending the Spirit for us. And so we have the Holy Spirit for all who believe. Uh, have placed their faith in Jesus. And so we're going to be talking about a spirit-led life. Now, it's also important for me from the get-go to um, say this, because when we talk about Saul living an evil spirit-led life and David with a holy spirit-led life, we're also going to be referring to our own flesh, our sinful nature. And I'm going to explain that a little bit more in a bit, because it takes uh, a little bit of foundational work for us to get to a place where we're going to understand what we're talking about tonight. But when I refer to our sin nature, our flesh, just know I'm referring to um, the evil that most of us experience. You see, uh, Saul's evil is just straight up demonic. And you might have some demonic issues tonight. I don't know. Hopefully we'll do an exorcism afterwards. I'm just kidding, if that's the case. But for most of us, uh, the evil that we experience is the, the flesh that we battle um, as God's spirit dwells inside of us. So just know when I refer to the flesh, I'm referring to our broken bodies, our sinful desires that we were born with. And again, we'll explain that a little more in a second. Now, when I say Holy Spirit, and we're going to talk a lot about the Holy Spirit tonight. When I say spirit-led life, some of us, right off the bat, we, we put ourselves in a corner based on our past uh, church experience, our belief, some of us even to extremes. And, and I want us to, uh, I want us to have an open mind as we're talking about this. You see, last week uh, when Tara and Silas and I went on vacation, I was pumped. I'd been looking forward to this for a long time, and it was an awesome vacation. I could just brag about it and make you guys feel horrible about your lives, but I'll preach the Word of God instead. We enjoyed every part of it, but on the very first day, we um, we had been in the ro on the road for a long time, and we're going to Springfield, Illinois, as we're headed up to Lake Michigan, and Silas was getting cranky, and, and so we stopped in Hannibal, Missouri. I don't know if that rings a bell for any of you, but it's, it's kind of unique because that's where Mark Twain grew up, 
and um, and his little house is there, and you can tour it in the Mississippi Rivers there, and it gives you this perspective of Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer and these books and what um, they were kind of founded in and, and grounded on. And so we saw this, and I thought, this is cool, and it reminded me when I was like a third grader, and I remember the teacher even like reading some Tom Sawyer to us, and I was like, you know what, when we get home, I'm gonna, now that I've seen this, I'm gonna go back, I'm gonna purchase Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer, I'm gonna read them again, just like a third grader. And so I did it. I got on Kindle, 99 cents. I got my Huckleberry Finn, did some research on Mark Twain, thinking this is, people are saying he's like a giant. He's just this amazing American literary icon. And I'm like, this is going to be good. Just like when I was a kid, I'm, this is going to be special. I don't know if any of you have read Huckleberry Finn lately. It is an evil, morbid, disgusting literary concoction it is racist it is about children who want to rob and murder and that is like what they like in life i mean it is it is a nasty little fairy tale i don't picture any i don't know what children i don't know what teachers are like reading this to their students i have to question my entire childhood after starting this book again the bottom line is it is not (laughs) what i thought it was it is not what I thought it was. And for some of us tonight, that's the experience we might have as we talk about the Holy Spirit. Some of us are going to come from the angle of, you know what, Holy Spirit, that stuff makes me uncomfortable. I know the Father. I know I know Jesus. I talk about him. I talk to him. But Holy Spirit stuff, that, that's just weird. And so it's the weird uncle that we have to invite to Thanksgiving, but no one wants to talk to. Um, that might be some of your backgrounds. Or it is, hey, you know what? Holy Spirit, finally, this cross-training guy is going to talk about a spirit-led life. This is the only reason I've been coming here, because eventually he's going to start speaking in tongues. And he's going to get saved, and we're going to finally have revival. And you're hoping that a glory cloud comes down, and uh, we're all going to have laughing fits, and the Spirit is going to do something weird amongst us tonight. We obviously have a lot of differing views in the church about what the Holy Spirit is and what a spirit-led life is. And so hopefully you'll find uh, tonight some truth (laughs) somewhere in between those two. You see, uh, I need to take, again, I need to take uh, some time as we talk about, um, as we talk about this, because a foundational question that comes up when we start talking about a Holy Spirit-led life, we start asking ourselves questions, okay, if I've got the Holy Spirit, I'm a Christian, I'm supposed to do then everything that God wants, but I know I do some bad stuff. So does that mean I'm not a Christian when I do bad stuff? Aren't we all led by the Holy Spirit? Why do I feel wicked sometimes? And why do I feel great after a worship service? And so the question often arises, do Christians have two natures? Do they have two natures? Do they have both the sin nature that we're born with and now a new nature in Christ? Now, we know biblically that... Everybody on earth, we are all born with a disposition towards rebellion and sin. We call this our sin nature. The Bible says that we are spiritually dead, that we need to be born again. John 3 says the only way to be born again is through Christ. And and so Jesus lets us know you've got to be spiritually born again in and of yourselves. You can do some good works. Um, you You can put on a little bit of a show. You can resist sin for a little bit. But ultimately in your life, if all you have is your sinful nature, you cannot love God, the God of the Bible. You can't please God and you cannot resist a life of sin. You need to know that. You don't, you won't get past, we can't even talk about a Holy Spirit-led life if you don't recognize you can't do this on your own. 
Now, for believers, we see very clear in Scripture, we're given a new nature. We're new creatures in Christ. Ezekiel 36, the promise of the new covenant, we have a brand new heart, one that loves God, one that desires the things of God. And, and so it's like, hey, this is great. This is wonderful. We talk about regeneration, being born again, being made new. All this stuff makes sense until you actually have to live the life of a Christian. And you realize, hey, you know what? Um, I know my body is a temple, so I want to work out. I want to make it fit. I want to make it good. But I also want to eat that piece of cake. I want to obey the command uh, to love my neighbor, but I also want to yell at them because I hate the way that they trash up their yard and make my property look bad next to theirs. We say, I want to forgive my coworker, but I also want to stay mad at them forever. And you say, what is happening inside? Do I still have a sinful nature? Now, to some degree, it's semantics. At the very least, we can say this. Your primary identity is the new creature, the new creation you are in Christ. Make no mistake about that. That is our reality. But you certainly have the capacity to live according to your old desires. Whatever that capacity, again, is semantics, but there is a capacity to live. It's an old ghost that's coming around, and it wants you back. It wants you back. It just won't go away. And so I think when we look at the big picture of whether we have two natures or one or whatever, here's the bottom line. When the Holy Spirit of God comes into a broken earthly tent that we call our bodies, there's going to be brokenness until, as Romans 7 says, who saves us from this? Praise be to God, Jesus, who saves us from this body of death. And so there's going to be some inner turmoil (laughs) in the life of Christians as you recognize your old life battling with your new life. Now, again, it, um, it's kind of deceiving because as we talk about Saul's evil and David's Holy Spirit, we assume if we ain't got just like, hey, I hate God, kind of evil stuff, demonic stuff going on, then we're all good. But a flesh-driven life, an old life in a, 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 with a new spirit, it can be subtly evil. And so as you're walking through this tonight, just know there might be people in here that are sealed with the Holy Spirit, God's promise on you, but are not living and walking by the Holy Spirit. And you're missing out on not only the blessing of the Christian life, you are going to be disobedient as it's going to be incredibly hard to follow the commands of Christ. I'd guess, just because of my experience within the faith and pastoral ministry, that a good chunk of the people in here tonight are sealed with the Spirit, but are really struggling to walk by the Spirit. Let me ask you these. Here's some signs. Are you emotionally driven? Meaning you make decisions and you do things based on how you feel. As your emotions go up and down, your life goes up and down. Here's the deal. Your emotions will lie to you. (laughs) The word of God is what drives us. What about this? Your foundation for decision making? Is it reason and rationale, or is it faith? The Holy Spirit will always lead you to a life of faith. Some of us in this room are not uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel, meaning we're not really walking by faith. If that's the case, you're living according to the flesh. Self-centeredness, huge mark of the flesh. Some of us, we come to cross-training. Listen to me. I love y'all, but it's going to get serious. We come to cross-training wanting a little nugget for ourselves, a little something-something to get us through the week. We like this midweek thing, and so it'll just get me to Sunday, and then I'll be filled up again, and then I need something on Wednesday night. Listen, you don't come here for a nugget. This 
faith and this mission is not about you. A flesh-driven life says, what can I get from it? A spirit-led life says, how can I lay down my life and sacrifice? I come here to worship Jesus with the saints. This is so much bigger than myself. We could go on and on and on. But as we walk through this tonight, I want you to ask yourself, are there any areas of your life, maybe your relationships, maybe your purity, any areas of your life that are driven by the flesh and not the spirit? So let's walk through this, chapter 19, verses 1 through 3. And Saul spoke to Jonathan, his son, and to all his servants that they should kill David. So keep in mind, started simple in his mind. I'm fearful, kind of jealous of David. He's taken over my kingdom, don't like it. Now he is, he has tried to spear David. He's tried to do his thing in behind closed doors. Now he's saying, I'm kingdom-wise, kill David. Jonathan, get involved. My son, I know you love David, put it on the back burner, just kill him. <laughs> like it, it's going to get very public very quick. But Jonathan, Saul's son, delighted much in David. And Jonathan told David, Saul, my father, seeks to kill you. Therefore, be on your guard, keep that in mind, be on your guard in the morning. Stay in a secret place and hide yourself. And I will go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are, and I will speak to my father about you. And if I learn anything, I will tell you. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant, David, because he has not sinned against you, because his deeds have brought good to you. So this is, he's trying to reason with him. For he, he took his life in his hand and struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? And Saul listened to the voice of Jonathan. Saul swore, as, you, as the Lord lives, he shall not be put to death. And you'll notice Saul goes back and forth on his feelings for David all the time. And Jonathan called David and Jonathan reported to him all these things. And Jonathan brought David to Saul, and he was in his presence again as before. Sounds great, huh? Verse 8. And there was war again. 11th century BC, this is what it was. Philistines and Israelites fighting, fighting, fighting. And David went out and fought with the Philistines and struck them with a great blow so that they fled before him. Then a harmful spirit from the Lord came upon Saul as he sat in his house with his spear in his hand. You know life is going bad when you're sitting in your house with, ready for war, and you're in the safest house in all of Israel. And David was playing the lyre. And Saul, Saul sought to pin David to the wall with the spear, but he eluded Saul, so that he struck the spear into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. First thing we see, if you're going to live a Holy Spirit-led life, you've got to flee that old life. You don't reason with the old life. So again, you see Saul, evil spirit, but also a parallel to our flesh and the way that we view our old life, right? And then you see David led by the Holy Spirit, and then someone in between, Jonathan. Man, he's got to be torn. My dad wants to kill my best buddy. I know David's right, but my dad is my dad. And he gets in the middle of it, and what does he do? He tries to reason. How exhausting is it to reason with your old life, with your sinful flesh. It's exhausting. But that's what a lot of us do. That's what a lot of us do. David, on the other hand, led by the Holy Spirit, does something that we're going to see three times in this chapter. He flees. 
he flees. Now, after it was good, he came back into the presence of Saul. Then he flees again. He flees, led by the Holy Spirit. He doesn't even fight this way. He said, you know what? I'm gone. He's going to kill me. That's what your old life wants to do to you. So I'm just going to flee. I ain't going to sit around. I ain't going to mess with it. How much of our discipleship is based around you and I and those we disciple not wanting to flee our old life? Trying to hang out with it and compromise with it. Trying to reason with it. Trying trying to use some rationale with our bodies. We're always doing it. A lot of times you don't see spiritual growth because people don't really want to flee from their sin. They want you to give them good advice so they can stay where they are and still enjoy the blessings of God. And God's saying, it don't work that way. If my spirit is in you, you're going to run from sin. You're not going to hang out and tiptoe in the water. It just doesn't work that way. But some of us, we have this weird, dramatic connection to our old life. We got memories wrapped up with old relationships. We got all kinds of feelings involved because it's our past. And it's like we feel like we owe our old life an explanation. Listen, you ain't got to go to divorce court. You just got you just got to sign the papers. You just got to get out of there. You don't owe your old life an explanation for the new life you're going to now live in Christ. So stop trying to arrange the meeting. And you know, you know this, and it takes new Christians, it takes them just a few minutes to realize this, but I don't know that we do a good job of explaining it, that your old life, your old sinful flesh, it is going to be ticked off when the Holy Spirit invades your body. It's going to be ticked off. It's going to come after you. And if you don't follow, as we saw in verse 2 or 3, where David said, be on guard. If something's trying to take your life, be on guard. If something's coming after you, be on guard. If evil is headed your way, be on guard. If we're not on guard, we're going to find ourselves compromising and slipping back into our old ways. Some of us in this room tonight, like if we were honest, if, we were, if I just said, what is your spiritual life like right now? You'd say, that sums it up. I know what I have in Christ, but I've got habitual sin that I keep sliding into over and over and over, and I am exhausted, and I've tried to reason, (laughs) and I've tried to use rational, and it just isn't working. And God's saying, you're looking for me to bail you out when you're standing in quicksand, unwilling to move. What What do you want me to do? Jesus has already rescued you. You just got to walk in that reality. It'll always draw you back if you give it a chance. Uh, Just yesterday was kind of the epitome of what lunches have been like in our household lately. I love the fact that Silas is old enough to have real conversations because if he's uh, hurting, he can actually tell you where he's hurting instead of you as a parent just guessing. Um, You like to to get to know your personality of, of your child. Like there's fun things about him being able to talk. Some unpleasant things as well. For those of you who have been parents, you know, um, man, the terrible twos, they do some back talking. You start to see manipulation and just all kinds of fun stuff that, that kids do. And uh, one thing we've seen with Silas is at lunch, he, he is very um, unconcerned with his own food and very concerned with what Tara and I are eating. 
and he manipulates us to pieces. Now, what happened yesterday was all me. Um, it, it, Tara does a better job uh, than I do. But we started by giving Silas his grapes and chicken and his um, avocado. And we're saying, okay, you got to eat this. This is healthy. This is what we're giving you. And he said very quickly, he said to me, after I put my plate down, he said, Daddy, don't eat all that. I said, don't worry about it. Homie, this ain't about you. I'm going to eat what I'm going to eat because I was eating chips. He said, Daddy, I want a chip. I said, you can't have a chip. You got to eat all your food. So that would, boom, right off the bat, that's the standard. I'm calling the shots. You're going to be healthy, and there's a new sheriff in town. You don't get to choose what you do. You say, okay, I'll eat. Okay. A couple minutes go by. I don't like this. Couple more minutes go by. He's asking for more chips. We put I, I, again. This is on me. I put one chip in the middle of the table. So you eat all your food. You can get that one chip. Minutes go by. He don't eat his food. Minutes go by. We say, you know what? <laughs> he says to me, I want two chips. I want two chips. I put two chips in the center of the table. So that's for you if you eat all what you eat. By the end of this thing, he's got half his food left on his plate. He had told us he was going to eat two bites of one-third of his food, and then he was going to get the chips. There was a stack of chips, I kid you not, a stack of chips and Cheetos on top of the chips in the middle of the table waiting for him because he had manipulated me. And I looked at him and I said, how in the world do you have all your food left? You didn't do anything we asked you, and now we're like giving you Cheetos and chips. That's what it does. And you know that the problem wasn't one of my steps. You know the problem is you don't bargain with a toddler. And yet how many of us are struggling with sexual immorality or impurity? And we say, you know what? I can watch that show. It's not that bad. And before you know it, the flesh prompts us. We want to gratify our sinful desires. And so we flip to things we shouldn't flip to. Or we say, you know what? I've struggled for years gossiping with this group of people at work and you say to yourself you know is it really that bad like you can talk to him without gossiping before you know it you're in the midst of a stupid conversation you should have never partaken of i could go on and on and on but let me say this first thing you see from david is that he flees he sees death coming. He wants life more than death. If you want a Holy Spirit-led life, you've got to first be filled with God's Spirit. You've got to ultimately, at the end of the day, like we can't even talk anymore if this isn't very clear-cut. If your desires for God and His commands and obeying Him and loving Him are not greater than your desires for your old life, you will not leave your old life. But only God can give you a greater desire. Ask him for a greater desire. Verse 11. And Saul sent messengers to David's house to watch him, that he might kill him in the morning. So he's got everyone involved now. He's going to kill David. But Michael, David's wife, told him, if you do not escape with your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So it looks like she just loves her husband at this point. This is good. Keep in mind, Michael is Saul's daughter and David's wife. So this is a messed up family. You think your Thanksgivings are rough. This would be, this would be problematic there. 
Verse 12, so Michael let David down through the window, and he fled away and escaped. And Michael took an image. Now, image is an idol. And Saul, a few chapters earlier, is actually condemned for the same type of idol that he has. It was subtle, but Michael is putting an idol. So her spiritual life is obviously not great. That's what we need to know at this point. Took this image, this idol, and laid it on the bed and put a pillow of goat's hair at its head and covered it with clothes. And when Saul sent messengers to take David, she said, he's sick. So now she's lying. Then Saul sent the messengers to see David, saying, Bring him up to me in the bed that I may kill him. And when the messengers came in, behold, the image was in the bed with the pillow of goat's hair at its head. And Saul said to Michael, keep in mind, daughter, daddy, why have you deceived me thus and let my enemy go so that he has escaped? And Michael answered Saul. He said to him, he said to me, let me go. Why should I kill you? So second thing we see is you can't fight your old life with the old ways. You can't fight sin with sin. You see, first Jonathan gets involved, and that doesn't go super well. It was inevitable that Saul would come back and kill uh, or try to kill David. Now Michael is getting involved, and on one hand, it looks like she just loves her husband. It's all good. Hey, this is a great gal. But then you see the spiritual issues with the idol, and what was that even doing in the house? And then you see the fact that she lied. She lied to the messengers. She lied to her own dad. And you have to say, why? Why? You could just be like, David left. David left. Because see, the mess gets worse. Now Saul not only hates David because he is jealous of him and fearful of him because he's going to lose his own kingdom. He's also mad because he's doing his daughter wrong. It's like, why did you have to do that, Michael? Why do you have to make things worse? Why'd you have to make things worse? But that's what happens when you try to fight evil with evil. That's what happens when you know your flesh is raging and sinful desires are coming on and you try to fight it with your own willpower. You want to make the situation worse? You want to dig a deeper hole? Just fight harder. Just fight harder. I remember when I was uh, in junior high, I had an uncle who um, would take me out in north central Kansas to, we called it hunting arrowheads. Now, this is nerdy. you got to understand. We, we would go through fields and riverbanks looking for Indian artifacts. He was really good at it, and I was just a punk kid, and I started to go with him, and we'd go for hours and hours and hours just scouring riverbeds and going from one riverbank to another and sandbar to sandbar um, on the Kansas River and different places. And I, I started to like it, and it was fun. But I remember the first time I started to slop, just kind of slop through some mud. And then it went like, it wasn't just ordinary mud on the riverbank. And then it went straight from like just normal mud, like calf deep to waist deep. And I remember just panic and fear coming over me that this might actually be quicksand. And my uncle's telling me, you're in quicksand. I'm like, I know I'm in quicksand. And my first initial response was to get out of this. Just get out. So I'm leaning. I'm doing this number. And it's just sucking you up. And you know from the get-go, your shoes ain't coming out of this. Like, you can have them on super tight. It ain't coming out. If you get out of this, then you're going to have to really fight harder. But what do you think happened when I fought harder? 
I went deeper and deeper and deeper. And he told me, even though I was just 12, 13 years old, and I'm thinking I'm just going to fight my way out of this, he told me, he said, just relax, calm down, here's what you got to do. You got to lean over, because I, I mean, I'm just doing this now. He said, you got to lean over, and you got to get on your face. And you got to kind of move and just get, just get flat on the ground. Now, the, it's wet, man, the river's right there. Like, I'm not wanting to get more into it with my face, but slowly but surely, I found myself getting out of this thing until I was flat on the ground and walking like a spider across that quicksand. I think there's a spiritual parallel there that many of us find ourselves in. You know you got habitual sin, and you know all the stuff we're talking about with the gospel and this good stuff, and yet you find yourself fighting it by your own strength over and over and over. And you say, how do, how do I even know? Are you exhausted? <laughs> one, one good way. How, how do I really know? Let me say that. Listen, let me ask you. When temptation comes your way, when, when sin comes your way, what do you do? Who do you turn to? Now, there's going to be a first group of people that are going to say, well, I mean, nobody. Like, I don't, I don't. I mean, life's pretty good. I don't, I, don't really, I don't really have to call anybody, even when I'm struggling with some issues. Life's good. Guess what? You're probably living by the flesh because nobody is somebody. <laughs> Somebody's you. And you're saying, I'm smart enough to handle this. What's the point of following Jesus, having the Holy Spirit inside of you, and you're going to push God aside and say, you know what? I think I'm still smart enough to handle my own life. There's going to be another group that says, you know, I do have friends. I have, I have other believers. When we get together, we talk about it. And man, this could be spirit-led. This could be great to have people in the church that hold you accountable. But for a lot of us, <laughs> we simply find partners who are willing to not just hold each other accountable, but who are willing to jump in the junk together. But too oftentimes, we stay in the junk together. And so you, you didn't go from, um, you know, flesh-led to spirit-led. You went from one person's willpower to two persons, <laughs> two people's willpower. Still flesh led. Still flesh. But then there's another group that knows when you're in the midst, even before you're in the midst of junk, you just got to surrender. You just got to trust the Holy Spirit. You got to give it to God. You got to say, you know what? I can't do this on my own. I can call people up. It's good to have accountability, but I have got to just surrender and trust God in this. I got to give Him everything. Let me ask you this. When you pray, because I, I know what's happening. You're listening to me, and you're thinking, oh, gosh, this is a typical sermon. Just give it to God. Just, you just be dependent on the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you if you're dependent on the Holy Spirit. This is going to get awkward for a second. When you pray, how many of you, don't, don't raise your hand, how many of you pray to the Father? Like you say, Father this or Father that. I'd say a good chunk of you probably do. You're used to You're like, yeah, that's God. It's God the Father. How many of you pray to Jesus or in the name of Jesus? Probably maybe even a, a bigger group says, yeah, I pray. I mean, this is our interceding. Okay, we get it. How many of you pray to the Holy Spirit? Like you, you say, Holy Spirit. I told you this is going to get weird. When I'm around my Pentecostal friends and we're praying together, they're, they're always praying to the Holy Spirit. The first time I was like, what? <laughs> what do you pray to Jesus. Now, theologically, God gets the message. It's okay. 
But if the Holy Spirit is the primary person of God for the Christian walk and helping you, shouldn't we be a little more familiar with him? Well, what I'm saying is there's a bunch of us who think we're dependent on the Holy Spirit and we've never actually talked to him. We see the Holy Spirit as an impersonable force who's kind of there. Listen, you know what you know the Bible says about the Holy Spirit? That he's comforter, that he's counselor, that he's helper, that he's a guide, that he's going to teach you. Jesus says, and the Spirit after me is going to come and teach you things from the Father. I don't know how many counselors, how many teachers you have that you don't talk to. There's probably not going to be super great counselors or teachers if you don't talk to them. I think some of us are so unfamiliar with the Holy Spirit that we've literally never talked to him. Now, again, semantics. When you're talking to God, you're talking to God. But I would question someone's actual reliance and dependence on the Holy Spirit They've never just flat out said, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me. Like, I, I need your strength. I recognize you are inside of me. I might not feel it right now. That's okay. I get it. But I need you. That's what radical obedience needs. It needs radical submission. A mark of a Holy Spirit-led life and just Christian maturity in general is submission, complete submission to the Holy Spirit. hard to be dependent on someone you don't talk to. And for some of us, that might be the most practical thing we get tonight. In verse 18, now David fled, there you go, for the third time, he fled and escaped. And he came to Samuel at Ramah, so that was a holy place, one of the five ones that Samuel would go to on his trek, and told him all that Saul had done to him. And he and Samuel went and lived at Nioth. And it was told Saul, behold, David is at Nath with in Ramah. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. Oh, this is where it gets good. Don't check out on me. We've got a few more minutes. Don't check out. This is where it gets good. David, excuse me. Then Saul sent messengers to take David. And when they saw the company of prophets prophesying. So you got, you got David probably around here. You got Samuel. And you got other dudes who are just preaching the word of God the Holy Spirit, like something, something awesome is happening here, saw them prophesying, and Samuel standing his head over them, the Spirit of God came upon the messengers of Saul, and they also prophesied. So you're, you're seeing a shift here where we're talking about, okay, this is an evil-led life, and all the worries of the world, and your sinful flesh, and all that. Okay, this is a Spirit-led life, and now to this point, it's about you, and your plan, whatever, and then boom, it's just just going to wreck it and say, it ain't about evil, and it ain't about this and your own plan. This is about God. This is about God. And it just, from the rest of the chapter, it's just, boom. People flat out, spirit comes on them, and they're just worshiping God. Third thing we see, though, in a spirit-led life is you got to fix your eyes on your new life. This new life in Christ, you got to fix your eyes David flees. He doesn't argue. He doesn't fight against. He doesn't lie. He doesn't fight evil with evil. That's, that's Michael. That's Jonathan. David just flees. He just walks on. David knows there's more important things. How do you tell, as it's been said often, how do you tell a counterfeit dollar? Do you study counterfeit dollars? 
No, because there's a zillion of them, right? You study the real thing. Once you know what the real thing is, you recognize everything that's not the real thing is counterfeit. And I think there's a lot of Christians out there trying to tackle each one of their old sins and their habitual issues one by one. And you go through life and you think, okay, this is repentance. I'm just going to go from one sin, try to get rid of it, then the next sin, try to get rid of it. But that's not the Christian life. It's not prompt like that and proper, and it's not wrapped in a bow. The Christian life is, I am in a mess. And there are all kinds of different aspects to this mess, but I see something better. I am turning, and it's not about one individual sin at a time. It's just, there's something better, so much better, and I'm not focused on this anymore. Listen, you guys remember Sodom and Gomorrah, right? And you know, they're just going to just take, just annihilate, like, Lot, you better take a couple people and get out of here. But one of them, an angel said, don't look back. Don't look back. Genesis 19, don't look back. And one of them, who? Lot's wife, looks back. He said, don't look back. You know the misery and the junk back there. What are you, what are you doing looking back? You don't have a clue about how good God is if you're caught looking back. And so what? She turns to a pillar of salt. Symbolically showing you look back in the past. Guess what? You stay in the past. You ain't never going to be able to move forward if your eyes are on what you're leaving. And what it says is two things. If you're constantly thinking about all the drama and the junk in your life and the sin and you're, you're, you're trying to get out of it, is number one, you're probably trying to do it on your own, <laughs> right? And number two, you've been deceived that that old life is better than it really is. Let's be honest. Some of us, We've experienced some broken relationships. But there, there was so much sin in it, but there was just a little bit of good, right? We've had some nasty friendships, but there's just a little bit of good. And the enemy tries to tell each one of us, you know, was that old life really that bad? It was ba- way back in the Garden of Eden stuff. Did God really say that? Was it really that bad? That's how we deceive. Sometimes we get to thinking, like, is it really, is it really worth all this? Which tells us the next thing that's probably going on is we don't really have a clue how good a life in Christ is. Those who grow the most spiritually are not the ones looking back. They're the ones looking forward. And they're so caught up in what Christ has done for them and who God is and what the Holy Spirit is leading them into that they ain't got time to focus on that. And they find themselves out of that. And they find the power of the new life is now overwhelming the power of the old life. But it doesn't come by focusing on the old life. It comes by focusing on the new life. I, um, let me, let me just kind of stop right here. Um, I, I still, we've got a few minutes left, but I, I want to just pause There is so much left on this earth for you to experience with the Holy Spirit that a lot of Christians are not experiencing that God wants you to experience. Now, your experience with the Holy Spirit is within the boundaries of what the Word of God tells us, right? Experience isn't king. The Word of God is the dictator. And your experience needs to fit in that. That's how we know who the Spirit is. 
And you can hear this sermon, and you can wait for the next eight or ten minutes for me to end this thing, and you can go on with life and be like, yeah, he talked about Holy Spirit stuff. And I mean, this is an intro to it. We can't cover everything. And you can just go on with life. Or for some of you, this could be the night where it finally clicks, and you say, you know what? I don't want to pass up any more opportunities to go deeper in Christ, to go deeper in his spirit. Maybe you're timid with spiritual things. There's a lot of people who follow Jesus, but they don't like spirituality. Maybe you're uncomfortable because you weren't taught much about the Holy Spirit. When Tara and I and Silas were hiking, we were on a vacation. We went hiking in, in a bunch of different states. And we were in Michigan, and it was hot, and there were bugs all over, and it was beautiful forest, and it was great, but it was kind of miserable at the same time. That's the world of hiking. And there were sand dunes, and on the other side of the sand dunes, some of them couple hundred feet tall on the other side of the sand dunes Lake Michigan and I knew it was over there people told I'm like I, I saw it on the map I talked to the park ranger he told me hey, this is kind of what's happening in the area but we walked all the way down this flat path beautiful but we knew it got better but we're just going to stay on the flat path because with a baby on you and Silas he, he, he doesn't walk it he just wants to climb in a little bundle and, and whatever yeah he does it and and Tara and I came to this, to the sand dune, and it opened up, and it was beautiful, and it just went up as high as can be. It was a couple hundred feet straight up of sand, and we're, ta- we're not talking like kind of sand with some mud. We're talking just pure sand, like, like you take one step forward, and it feels like five steps back, and it's just going to kill your thighs, and it is just straight up, and we're thinking, yeah, that's interesting, and, I, and she said, should we do it? And I said, you know what, let's just, let's just go and enjoy the rest of this, and on the way back, if we feel like we can do it, we'll, we'll do it. Like, we just kind of had it there as an option. And so we go back, and we walk, and, um, and we get to where we want to turn around. We're like, all right, let's come back. And we got to it, and we said, you want to do this? And we said, you know what, let's just do it. Let's just do it. And we started on that climb, and it was miserable. I took, like, ten videos on the climb up just because I needed a breather, and I, had, I needed an excuse. Like, I was literally going to give up because my thighs were burning like crazy. It was hot. It was sweaty. It was miserable. I had the camera. I mean, it, it was it just... It was just miserable. You got sand going in your shoes. But little by little, we trudge up this thing. And we get to the top. And man, I'm like a worn out old dog. I'm just, I'm huffing and puffing. I need to be laid down. Like I'm just, I just, I'm just worn. And yet we looked over that forest and we saw as far as the eye could see. We saw Lake Michigan. Just beautiful water. Sand dunes everywhere. And we were like, oh my, this is amazing. And we knew when we looked at each other, we said, you know what? We're never going to forget this. We almost passed it up. And this is what we're going to remember. Like we're never going to forget climbing up this thing. You got a chance to go deeper in the spirit. Some of you are going to investigate that. You're going to dig into the Word of God and find out more about God's Holy Spirit. And it's going to be awesome. But some of you won't. And you'll stay right where you are. Last but not least. And when it was told Saul, oh, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. When it was told Saul, he sent other messengers, and they also prophesied. So spirit comes down, and they start preaching the word of God. And Saul, and then he himself 
went to Ramah and came to the great well that is Taku. And he asked, where are Samuel and David? And one said, behold, they're at Nioth and Ramah. Now keep in mind, three miles away from Saul. This is like a 90-minute walk. It's not a big deal. They didn't go too far. And so Saul's like, I'm just going to go kill him. <laughs> I don't know why everyone's staying there. This is weird. So Saul's going to do this. And then boom, the last two verses. Oh, this is beautiful. And he went there to Nioth and Ramah, and the Spirit of God, keep in mind, he's got an evil spirit on him. But then God, and the Spirit of God came upon him also. And as he went, he prophesied until he came to Nioth and Ramah. See, he, 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 he starts prophesying before he even gets there in the presence of the other prophets. And he too stripped off his clothes, and he too prophesied before Samuel and lay naked all that day and all that night. Thus it is said, is Saul also among the prophets. So the, the naked thing, real quick. So this is a couple things. Number one, you remember Jonathan took off all his armor, gave it to David. This is a sign of like, hey, listen, <laughs> I, this is a sign of humility. But it's also a beautiful thing in showing that this dude who is as evil as can be, who's going to kill David, when he gets around people filled with the Spirit of God, he is so overpowered by God that God's saying, number one, you're going to have my Spirit on you. That's how powerful I am. And number two, you can't stay dressed like the king in the presence of the true king. You're going to be naked like a little baby, and you're going to lay there. That's how vulnerable you are in front of me. And the people are like, this is crazy. What is going on? The very last thing we see, a spirit-led life is about God. A spirit-led life ultimately points to God. It points to God. Three times David fleed from Saul, and the Holy Spirit leads him to worship. You see, you can't have a spirit-led life that doesn't lead to worship. Like, it, it doesn't exist. You can't have a spirit-led life that doesn't lead to worship. Now, I know that it's easy for me to say it's not about us, but some of us, when, when, I, when I say, we're going to be talking about a spirit-led life tonight, some of us automatically are thinking, you know what, this sounds good because I need the Spirit to guide me and tell me what God's plan is for me in my next step. Am I going to finish college here? What am I going to do with a job? Am I going to date this person? And you got it wrong from the beginning because it was never about you and your direction. It's about God. The Spirit of God is not your personal tour guide here just to help you do your own thing. The Spirit of God came to wreck your life. It is an inferno inside of you wanting to align you with God and to see His glory. God, God's Spirit, listen, you know the encounters. You know the encounters of people with God. People, people, like Isaiah in Isaiah 6, who encounters God and falls on his face and says, Woe to me, I am dead. I am dead. That's the kind of encounter we see in Scripture. We don't see people say, You know what, man, I'm led by the Spirit of God, and it's pretty cool, and I want to tell you guys about it. It feels really good, and it's this personal experience like carrying around a little pet in a cage, like some Hollywood, you know, <laughs> like this is, this, is, this is the Spirit of God. It's overwhelming to people. 
And when the Spirit really leads you, He doesn't lead you down your own path. He leads you straight to glorifying God with your life. That's where this chapter ends. A bunch of people, David, who's like, don't kill me, Saul. I'm running. Boom. What's David doing led by the Spirit? Worshiping God. Saul, hey, I'm bent on evil. I'm going to kill you. Boom. Stop in your tracks. Worship God. Samuel, what are you up to nowadays, man? You've kind of been out of the picture. But boom. Worship God. Everybody ends worshiping God. That's how the story ends. Parallel. That's how this whole thing's going to end. That's how it ends. That's what a Spirit-led life does. It leads you to bow down to Jesus. It leads you to bow down to Jesus. Listen, there's a lot of people who, when they talk about a spirit-led life, it's all about this spiritual experience. I'm telling you what, it is marked by a lot of things. Repentance of sin, obedience to Jesus. It is abundance of worship. There's a lot of things that mark a spirit-led life. And I do believe God wants you to experience power in him with the Holy Spirit. But if your ultimate, if your big picture of what a spirit-led life is, is simply a matter of, if I go down that route, I could experience God's power more. If that's as big as it gets, you missed it. A spirit-led life makes you bow down and worship the God of the universe. It makes you come to the end of yourself and be led by something so much bigger. It leads you to obedience. It leads you to love. There is fruit involved. David's not concerned anymore about Saul killing him. Earthly worries go away when you're led by the Spirit. Saul's not concerned about killing David. Satisfying the sinful nature in you is not going to be your priority. Worshiping God is what the Spirit leads you to. Let me end by saying this. It's no coincidence that the people in the church that you see with the most peace, the most love, the most gentleness, kindness, the the fruits of the Spirit, they're not the ones who are the most religious. They're not the ones best at keeping all of their rules. They're the ones whose focus is solely on the Lord. They're caught up in His Spirit. And worshiping him. I'll say this as well. The best missionaries are not the ones bent on seeking people to minister to. They're the ones who are so focused on the minister (laughs) of all the people. And they simply invite others into it. David ain't even got to preach the good stuff to Saul. He's just worshiping, and Saul, who wanted to kill him, is now worshiping too. That's what God's Spirit does. That's what God's Spirit does. So I'm going to challenge you in this. Simply this. Continue this study. Dive deeper. I would love to continue walking with you. I don't want to just throw you out there. This is semi-dangerous in me even saying Keep in mind the word of God will dictate what we know about the Holy Spirit. I'll say that over and over and over. But don't let this conversation, don't let it die. It's bigger than this. It's bigger than what we've even talked about tonight. But it's beautiful. And you will not regret it. And it will glorify God. So let's pray as we close out tonight.